Hello everyone. This is Richard with Richard Runs Trails. Today I'm going to talk, do a race recap on my Arkansas Traveler 100 miler and also going to kind of let you know how to finish a 100 mile race. You know, basically inside the mind of an ultra runner, a prolific ultra runner. I run ultras every month. I often get questioned, how do you do it? Well, what kind of gear you need to use? Um, I'm going to tell you my secrets. Um, I've been running ultras for over five years. I've finished over 40 ultras. I've finished uh, 500 milers and probably at least 20, 100Ks, and many other ultras. But 100 milers are the di most difficult distance in ultra running. And the reason it is is because you got 30 hours. A lot of people say the 200 miler is easier than a 100 miler. I've never done a 200 miler, but you get sleep breaks and you got three or four days to complete it. But in a 100 miler, you have 30 hours. So the example I'm going to use is Arkansas Traveler 100. Well, let me show you a nice buckle I got. They've uh, redone their buckle. Um, they got a lot of criticism in the past and not being a very pretty buckle, but I think it's very nice this year. It's cast and it's gold plated. So let's talk about let's talk about the Arkansas Traveler 100. So it was about eight about an eight nine hour drive for me. I ended up last year I did the race and I finished 60 miles, which is the turnaround. I'll talk about that later. And um, this year I was going to complete the race. Um, I was about 10 pounds lighter, a lot stronger. Been doing a lot of body weight um, exercises, but also a lot of weightlifting and a lot of running, a lot of hill training. Um, been for the last few months, been averaging somewhere between six to 10,000 feet of climbing every week. And uh, this race has officially 17,000 feet of climbing. My GPS says it's like 24,000. So somewhere in between there. Anyways, it's a tough race and you, you feel like you're always going uphill. Um, so drove nine hours. I stayed in Moralton which is about 30 uh, minutes from the race start at Lake Ochita, Lake Sylvia, kind of the same area. The Ochita National Park is hundreds of miles of um, state park. Nobody lives there. So very, uh, very rural area. Um, I got in town the night before, I guess it was around seven o'clock, checked in, um, hotel, and looked for a place to eat. The only place to eat was Waffle House, not a place that I usually eat, but um, I went there, had some eggs and toast and uh, saved the waffle and uh, ate that in the morning. Got a pretty good rest. One thing I suggest is a tip that I do is um, use um, some uh, melatonin or sleep aid to make sure you get into a deep sleep and um, I typically get up early, around 5 o'clock every day, so it's not a problem for me to get up early. I slept pretty well. I went to sleep around, I guess I fell asleep around 9. I woke up at 3, 3.15, something like that. My plan was to get up at 3.30. I just woke up a little bit earlier than that. I started drinking some coffee, got ready. The nice thing is um, about staying in a hotel versus a tent. The previous year I had stayed in a tent. It takes a lot more time to get ready if you're in a tent. And because uh, you're trying to carry lights and, you know, you have a toilet and everything in a hotel room. If you have a hotel room, I highly recommend doing that. And um, you can also lube up yourself better 
you know, you know, you've got better lighting and everything. So I ended up wearing my Saucony shorts. Um, they're about $60 short. They're not cheap. I buy them every few months. Um, typically for a hundred mile, I use a new pair because if the liner is not the best in all the shorts that I've, I've used, but I like the short the best. If that makes sense. Um, I just think the sweat over, you know, a couple hundred miles uh, tends to degrade the liner. So I always use a new pair of shorts for a hundred miler. And um, uh, for lube, oh, let me back up. So when you're in the hotel room, of course, you can do this at the race site too, but it's easier in the hotel room. Um, sport, sport grade uh, suntan lotion. Um, I use a spray. Uh, spray my whole body, uh, even under my shirts, where those shirts would be, because you're going to be out there, you know, 25 plus hours, you know, for middle of the pack or back of the pack. Another thing I do, which probably a lot of people don't do, but I highly recommend it, is I I use off or cutter. I spray my I spray my entire body with that too. I mean, you're going to smell pretty bad, but that's the idea. Because a lot of these hundred milers, they have there's a lot of bugs out there in the forest, and um, in the mountainous areas, uh, especially in Arkansas, they have horse flies. Horse flies are really big um, flies, and they can really bite you and painful. I've never been bitten by one, but I've had them swarm me before. And uh, also, I try to spray as close to my ears as I can, but I don't spray in my ears. The reason that is, bugs. When I you have a headlamp at night, um, show them here. When you have a headlamp at night and you have this guy on here, the bugs want to fly towards your light and they typically want to try to go in my ears. So I try to spray as close as I can, but I don't spray in my ears. So I suntan lotion off. I use cutter this time. And then for anti-chafing, I used uh, chamois butter. Um, I've done a video on this. There are a lot of products out there. This is actually the cheapest one. This tube here costs eighteen dollars, and it'll last you half a year. Um, it's designed for cyclists. I bought it by accident because I couldn't get the one I wanted. I mean, I used to be sponsored by Squirrels Nut Butter and uh, you know Trail Toes. They all make good products, but they're expensive. And this one works really well. I only lubed up one time for this hundred miler, and I was out there twenty nine hours. Um, I didn't re lube, and often long races I need to relube later in the race. And I had no chafing, especially in painful areas like your butt and stuff. I didn't have any, I didn't have any chafing at all. I only had some chafing under my arms a little bit, even though I wore a special shirt for that. And then on the bottom of my back above my butt, I'll get some chafing from the pack. It's just, it's unavoidable. All the packs do that. And because you got a, a hydration pack and it's, you know, rubbing against your back for, over one day, you're going to get some chafing there. But what I do do is to minimize it is I put some of this butter on the bottom of my back. So it does help. I noticed a decrease in uh, chafing in the area. So I got ready. Um, uh, shirt, I just mentioned it. Um, I was using, you can use this when it gets a little bit cooler. In Arkansas, it was in the high 40s, low 50s at the start. But I was using an exoskin shirt. Um, you know, exoskin products have like copper wire in it, real thin. You can't feel it. But it's just a special material that dries fast. 
and it's form-fitting to your body. But one other thing I like about this shirt is it's got half sleeves. So it's not, it goes down to about my elbow and it protects against the pack rubbing under my arm. And that's an area that you'll get chafed um, in a hundred miler. So this protected me. I just got a little bit of chafing and because it dries pretty fast, I mean, it stays a little bit damp. Um, I almost, I have never had a clothing change in a race. Never, nor shoes. I just, I want to minimize the time because every minute counts in a hundred miler. I'll talk more about that. But I use this during the day and at night. And during the day, I got up in the 80s. At night, it got down probably mid 40s. Socks, exoskin socks, toe socks. Highly recommend them. I've been using them for a few years. Not exoskin, I'm sorry. Uh, in Gingy. Exoskin also makes them. They work well too. But the thing about exoskin ones, they're a little bit thinner. I like the thicker ones, so I use in Gingy. These are very important to prevent your toes from blistering. It splays your toes a little bit. And I never get toe blisters anymore. When I first started doing ultras, I got toe blisters, and those are very painful. Um, in this race, I got no blisters. I got a little bit of a hot spot on one of my heels. I thought I did at the end of the race. I checked, and I did had no blister. So... Another thing I don't do is I don't put anything on my feet. Some people put cream, they put anti-chafing, they put desiccant powder on there. I don't put anything. You can do what you want, but I'm telling you it's not needed. You're just adding more variables. Um, and Genu socks, uh, expensive, but worth it. Same thing about the Exoskin shirt, $70 shirt, but it's worth it. It make the difference. I never wear cotton. Cotton gets heavy when it's full of sweat and... It just doesn't work well for me. You'll get cold at night. So I either use all polyester or I use exoskin. Exoskin is basically several different kinds of like polyester, some copper wire in there. I say copper wire, but it's so thin you can't see it. It's it's very similar to a printed circuit board kind of material. It's a patented material. So that was my gear. Um, um, used my Ultraspire hydration pack. In my pack, I also had my Solomon uh, windbreaker. Uh, I, I, it, it'll uh, mesh down into a small sandwich bag like this. Never used it. That's so if a cold front comes in or the weather really gets bad, basically if I get in deep shit, I pull that out. Um, didn't have to use it. I uh, got real lucky. Um, during the night, um, it got down in the high 40s, but it, got, it was cold enough. It was cold enough when my hands started to feel uncomfortable. I wanted to put on gloves, but I didn't because if I put on gloves, it's hard to take out my hydration bladder and, and take the top of it off. And um, it worked out real well because I was cold, but I wasn't too cold during the night. It kept my blood pressure way uh, lower than it would have been. So I think that was also a big uh, factor in me finishing the race. But um, let's let's talk about the race. So. Like I said, got up 3.30, got to the race site right before 5. The race started at 6, had to check in. The race got started at 6, and the first mile is downhill. So you're standing out there, 15, 20 minutes, you're cold. You know, high 40s. Um, I'm raining in shorts and uh, short sleeves, so I was really anxious to get running. And um, once you got running, it felt comfortable but at the start of the race you know how it is it feels cold 
So I put the aid stations up here. Um, I want to talk about my strategy and what's going through my mind. How do I save time? And what you, because what you want to do in the first half of the race, is you want to bank some time because you have 30 hours. And believe me, every minute counts. I've, I've finished some hundred milers in 28 and change, several in 29. I'm kind of a back of the mid pack runner. And, um, when I, um, one thing you'll notice here is you have the aid stations on the left and on the right. Um, this is an out and back course. So you go to turn around and then you come back. Um, here they have red zone. If you get in the red zone times, um, red zone means that if you're in the red zone, there's a good chance, very good chance that you're not going to finish the race in 30 hours. And how do they know that? Because they have like over 20 years data and they calculated uh, aid station times, people crossing aid stations and finishing the race. They got very good data on this race. Uh, last year, half the race, I was in the red zone. And my strategy last year was I started out, um, I pushed hard in the race, but during a lot of the, the climbing, I power hiked. And that's a strategy you always hear from other ultra runners. I'm telling you, it doesn't work. Um, I've stopped doing that in races, uh, especially races that I have a lot of climbing. If it's not at least a 10% grade, you shouldn't be power hiking. You should be jogging. Because I tell you what, if you power hike all the hills in this or mountains in this race, you will not finish. Because the whole race, you think you're going uphill. I mean, it's, it's really a lot of climbing. So race got started. You can see there at the top, uh, Browns Creek was the first aid station. I was, I was feeling pretty good. I was running about my training pace, about 10, 10 and a half minute miles. Because one thing you want to keep in mind in a 100 miler or even 100K is the first three, maybe the first third of the race, you can run your training pace or a little bit slower. The second uh, third of the race, you're going to start to degrade 10, 15, 20%. Then the last uh, um, a third of the race, you're going to degrade further. I mean, you're, you're, you're really beat up. You're in the pain cave. You have a lot of lactic acid buildup. And your jog is going to be what your fast power hike speed will be. And... Uh, you know, during the last third of a race, I'm lucky if I'm I'm finishing maybe four miles an hour. And uh, but I, I work on that. I bank time in the beginning of the race. So I took off and I made it through Browns Creek. You know, I was in around the 10 minute per mile pace. I felt good. It was very cold to me because I'm from Texas. So it kept my blood pressure down um, at Browns Creek. I basically skipped the aid station. I grabbed a they have real nice uh, pancake and bacon uh, wraps. I grabbed one and kept running. Um, after about, I think it's about five miles into this race, it gets into some very difficult single track. And uh, once I got to flat side uh, pinnacle, um, I was still feeling pretty good, but I kind of hit a rough spot. I don't know if my, uh, I just wasn't, this wasn't warmed up enough or what, but I was using one hiking pole. Um, it's a very technical section and um, something that I do that I know other, some other runners do, but I often get asked, why are you using one hiking pole is um, you can run faster with one hiking pole than you can two. And the reason is, is because um, try to carry two sticks when you're running. One's going to want to go one direction and one go the other, even if you hold them in the same hand. And one thing I learned from another runner by using one hiking pole is, I'm using it for balance. 
So if I'm going down a, a technical area, I'm kind of poking, you know, every three or four feet to keep my balance. Um, I'm not propelling myself with the hiking poles. And also my hiking poles are the, uh, they're the, um, the carbon fiber ones that fold up and uh, black diamond. So it's easy to carry one. I fold it up, carry it in my hand. If the nice thing is about this year is I knew the race course. I made it all the way to turnaround. So I've, I've covered every trail and, and road in this race. So I knew what was coming. And after I got um, a flat side pinnacle, I kept going. Browns Creek, I filled up my bladder and then um, started to feel pretty good. Ate a banana, I think it was. And uh, once I got to uh, Lake Sylvia, I put away my hiking pole from the the tough section was done. I knew I had Jeep roads for a couple miles and then we would get on what I call the pumpkin patch highway. So you're, you're climbing out of Lake Sylvia one or two miles. It's straight up. And uh, so I was kind of doing a light jog. I put one of my hiking poles behind me in my pack and one of them was still um, strapped horizontally on the, the bottom of my pack. You always want to take Hiking poles into a hundred miler, it will save your race if you run into, you know, uh, knee or back, lower back problems in the last 20 miles. Most races allow that. Some races like Havelina do not, but most races allow hiking poles. You can keep them in a drop bag, but you don't know when you might need them. Um, I always say it's very critical that you want to try to carry them in the last 20 miles of an ultra. So if it's a loop race, it's no problem to put them in your drop bag, but this is not. It's an out and back. So climbing out of Lake Sylvia still felt pretty good. I kept a pretty good, decent pace. Um, last year it was pouring down rain uh, coming out of Lake Sylvia and it was just pouring for hours. This year, the weather was real good, kind of cold. Um, the, after about one or two miles on Jeep road, uh, pumpkin patch highway, as I call it, is basically a four wheeler road. They call it a road, but it's more I don't know how a truck would, or, Park ranger would even have a hard time getting down it. It's it's a very narrow, like four-wheeler trail. And you do that for about five hours, not five hours, five miles. And then at a pumpkin patch, you go down into, uh, you go down a hill, electronic tower. This is going to be an important thing I talk about coming back in, uh, at the end of the race. But it's basically four miles downhill. You just, you're just blowing and going. Uh, you make it into Lake Winona. It's about 30 miles. I had a drop bag there and uh, I didn't open it. I didn't need it. So re, um, these on Pumpkin Patch, Electronic Tower, Lake Winona, um, I did uh, refill my bladder. I was alternating one aid station full up with Gatorade. The next one I would use water. And one thing I want to stress here is use the hydration that the race provides. Some people want to bring their own stuff. It just delays time and it doesn't make that much difference. If they're serving Tailwind or Scratch, Gatorade, doesn't matter. They all do about the same. I'm telling you, you want to save time. I typically are in an aid station no more than two or three minutes, sometimes less. I fill up my hydration. I grab a gel or something to eat if they have something and I get going. I eat on the trail. I never stay at the aid station. And this adds up. You can see here there's over there's over 10, 10, 15 aid stations. 
if you save minutes, you know, you could be saving 30 minutes to 45 minutes of the race. Um, very important. So Lake Winona, I didn't need my drop bag, so I just skipped it. I kept going. I, I felt good. And uh, out of Lake Winona, it's kind of rolling hills, kind of like mountain bike trail. Um, I got into pigtail. I skipped that one. I didn't need I didn't need hydration. It was still cool. I mean, we're talking it was in the uh, 70s. For me, that just felt like cool spring weather, you know, running in 90s and 100 all, all year uh, in Texas. Yeah, I was just feeling good. Got into Club Flamingo, thir mile 39. Um, still feeling good. And one thing that really got me excited is I was not in the red zone. I was over an hour and a half in front of the red zone. So I was running much better than last year. So that was very motivating. I uh, started getting some tef, tough mountain sections going into Bahama Mama. It's mile 43. And uh, uh, I think I pulled out my hiking pole, one hiking pole for one or two miles. And then the climb into power line, I use one of my hiking poles. It's some really steep section. One thing in races, and I mentioned this before, if you ever hear the word power line, you're going to get kicked in the nuts. Power line is always a tough section in every race is because the utility companies they basically are mowing uh mowing down trees up the side of a mountain so they can run power lines it's always a tough section every race i've ever been in if it says power line you know you're in for trouble and it is in this race too um very tough section i got into power line i was very excited because that you can see the cutoff time there uh, 8.30, I made it in there at 7. So over an hour and a half faster than I did last year. And last year, the pros were passing, coming back around. They were coming down off a of power line. I did not see the pros until I was started headed out to Copperhead uh, after stopping in power line. Uh, once I was in power line, still daylight, I had some soup. The There was a late, older lady there, really nice. She said, let me give you a hug. And I was like, man, I'm I'm, I'm completely wet sweat and she still gave me a hug and then she suggested her potato soup so i had it it was great and uh filled up my bladder and uh i, I put on my i put on my headlamp and uh one thing you want to do when you put on a headlamp you can see i've got this uh polyester band i put that on my head and then i put a, I take off my hat don't use a hat with a headlamp some people do that it doesn't work very well. You put that, you put this uh, polyester band around your head or sweat band, whatever you have, and then you put your headlamp on top of that. Why do you want to do that? It's because when you sweat a lot, you will have to have the headlamp really tight. Otherwise, even when it's really tight, it's going to slide up and down. It gets, it gets slippery. It's slippery on your forehead. That band prevents that from happening. So got my light on. Um, the nice thing from uh, power line to turnarounds, you have about 10 miles. It's fairly flat. It's Jeep roads. Um, so I was cruising in and I got to, I got to turn around um, about, I think it was about uh, 9.30. I was about an hour and a half ahead of the cutoff. And last year I got there right at cutoff and decided to get out of the race. Um, which is probably a good decision because after knowing the timing of this year and how, what it took me to finish, I probably wouldn't have finished in time or not official time anyways, but, uh, real quick turnarounds. 
I mean, I was spending like a minute in uh, turnaround, filled up my hydration bladder. And like I said before, one aid station water, next station Gatorade. I alternate. It's real important because you need to drink what your body needs, not what you want to drink. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's very important because you want to keep your, your salt levels and everything where it should be. I've heard of ultra runners going out there and, oh, I just like the taste of water and they drink only water. Boy, you're going to be in trouble. You, 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 can't, you can grind out a marathon, but you cannot grind out a 100 miler. If you get low on anything, salt, zinc, whatever, minerals in your body, you're going to have cramps. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to bonk. You're going to have all kinds of problems. Some people even drink in pickle juice. If they start to get cramps, it works, tastes terrible. Mustard will do the same. But you need to try to be eating, you know, three, 400 calories an hour, which is hard. I wasn't doing it. I never do it. I probably getting around 200. Um, later in the race, I eat a little bit better, but I'm drinking correctly. I drink a lot of Gatorade or whatever they're serving. I was drinking scratch and Gatorade or whatever was the fastest to, to get. I'm mixing anything, not carrying any food, only running on what the aid stations provide. That way I can get in and out within a few minutes. That's so critical. That's the best advice. And you don't want to carry too much stuff. You know, like Carl Meltzer always says, don't carry too much shit. He's always saying the mid packers and the back of pack, you know, carrying too much stuff. It's very true. Just adds weight. So I got to turn around, got going. Um, kind of uneventful going into Copperhead again. But once I got back into power line, um, I uh, drank some more soup and I filled up my hydration bladder. It was dark. And then I picked up a pacer, uh, Steve Griffin, a pace me. I didn't never use pacers, never have in my life. And, uh, it's kind of against my, my way of running ultras. I don't use pacers and I don't use crews, but real nice guy. He was supposed to pace my brother and his wife, but they dropped out of the race and he was there and, uh, said, yeah, let's go. So we had a fun time. Uh, we were running through the night. We're talking in the middle of the morning. He was, he had a speaker and we were blasting Ozzy Osbourne and ACDC and, you know, people really getting a kick out of it. You imagine running down the trail and, uh, in pitch black in the middle of the forest. I mean, there's no houses for 30, 40 miles and you hear someone coming up on you, you know, playing Eric Clapton and ACDC, you know, some other runners got a big kick out of it, but I passed a lot of runners. I was feeling good and I wasn't running fast, but I was running consistent pace and uh you know one thing one thing i do at night when i'm running and i should have mentioned this earlier but some people have a problem running at night and i think the mindset is very important you know because there's animals out there you know it can get kind of scary i remember my first ultra was a bandera 100k i started hallucinating i thought an animal was tracking me like a cougar or something and I kept hearing something running parallel to me. And your mind can really play games with you. Turns out it was just a faraway car or something. But one thing I do and I've learned to do over the years is when I'm in the forest, I'm part of the forest. You know, it's almost like I'm apex predator. You know, I'm I think animals are very clever. A lot we don't know about them. And I think they can sense fear. You know, when I'm going through the forest, you know, I'm a big runner. I've got two lights most of the time. I'm making a lot of noise, you know, and I'm sending out a signal, man. You don't want to mess with me. And the animals don't. 
I mean, I've had friends and stuff say coyotes got close to them and stuff, scared them. I don't have that problem. You know, knock on wood, I haven't had that problem before. Only thing, the worst thing I've had, because you know, you know, my attitude and my mindset is I'm not scared of you. Don't get near me. You don't want to mess with me. And uh, I think that's real important because mindset, my, you're, you know, in a long ultra, you know, a lot of people say it's 50, 60% physical. The rest is mental. And I really believe that when you get into the pain cave, you have to push through a lot of pain. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But when you're going through the forest in the middle of the night and you're running through the forest, think about it. You're running through the forest often by yourself and you're 30, 40 miles away from many houses or anything. I mean, you're in a deep, deep forest. So you need to be, have a strong mind and just, you know, as a, my son's karate teacher always says, uh, focus and concentration, very important. Um, that's why I usually don't use a pacer because I want to focus on what I need to do. I'm always thinking about what I'm going to do at the next aid station. <coughs> People always say, how can you run a hundred miles? Well, in my mind, I'm not running a hundred miles. I'm running to the next aid station. And before you know it, you've been running a day, you know? So I'm kind of thinking 10 K at a time. So I know what the next aid station is, what I need to do. I'm thinking, hmm, do I need water at the next station? What do I want to eat? Do I want to get a caffeinated gel or do I want a coffee? Because I drink coffee. And one thing I've learned, that you know, a lot of aid stations start having the cold coffee. I mean, that's okay, but there's nothing works as well as hot coffee. I'll even get hot coffee and put like an ice cube in it just so I can slam it faster. But just, just the caffeine works much better in it. I don't know why. But one thing I did in this race that worked really well is using the caffeinated goo gels. And I've been on a very strict diet for a couple of months. No, almost no sugar, only natural sugar. So when I took a, a goo gel, man, it's like uh, jet fuel. And then I had the caffeine in it. It really helped me a lot. So I was picking up gels, um, some soup, um, quesadillas at some of these things. But we were cruising through the forest. I was picking off a lot of runners. I wasn't, that wasn't my goal. I just wanted, my goal was, Focus, focus on finishing. I want to finish this race. I want to bank time. So going out of power line, I had a pretty good momentum. It was somewhat downhill. Bahama Mama uh, kept plugging along. But I knew if you look down four H stations away, Lake Winona, 7 a.m. I was told that they're very strict at that aid station. They will pull you if you don't make the cutoff. Can you imagine being pulled out of a race at mile 85? I cannot. And that was just not going to happen. Um, even Steve was running with me. He says, man, I, does your pace has just been right on. You just, you're not slowing down. You're not speeding up. You're just keeping a good pace. We're in good shape. And I was going into aid stations like Club, uh, Club Flamingo, Pigtail, one minute, two minutes. And I, I focused from like two in the morning to six in the morning, um, four hours on getting to Lake Winona, not wasting any time because I, I had to get past Lake Winona and electronic tower to finish this race. Those are the last cutoffs. Once I got past them, they're not going to pull me out of the race. I still need to make the time, but they're not going to pull me. So once I got past, well, guess what? I pulled into Lake Winona at six in the morning. So I was, uh, hour and 20 minutes ahead of a cutoff um i was doing really good and i pulled in lake winona and it just the sun was coming up and just the euphoria i just was so excited that i made this difficult cutoff 
I came in there and Steve was going to try to get some food and stuff. And guess what? There's like five chairs. Four of them are full of uh, runners, uh, much younger than me, young bucks. And uh, they were taking it easy. And I had been passing a lot of runners uh, for the last few aid stations. I think one person passed me, but I probably passed 10. So I come in this aid station. There's four people sitting down. I filled up my hydration bladder and the aid station captain says, you're doing good. Do you want to sit in this chair here? We have a chair. You know, I told him, I said, no, I'm going. I'm not going to waste any time. So I told Steve, you get what you need and you catch up with me because he's running much faster than me. He only ran about 30 miles that day and I had already run. Uh, I was at, at Lake Winona. I was at mile 84.9. So finished 85 miles. I kept going. Then he caught up to me after the, after I left the aid station. And I just, it just dawned on me that it's past four runners in that aid station. And they're probably half my age. So runners out there, I'm 55 years old. If you think you're too old to run ultras, you're wrong. A lot of the very good ultra runners, much faster than me, or many of them are much older than me. Yeah, running ultras is, is like a project. And you got hydration, nutrition, chafing, equipment. I'm telling you secrets on my equipment right now. You can do this. Anyways, we got rolling and we started uh, headed towards electronic tower and we were playing ACDC, blasting it. It was so cool. But I was telling you earlier about power line. Power line, every time you hear power line, you're in the first deep shit. Well, there's one thing worse than hearing the word power line and that's electronic tower. Electronic towers they put on top of steep mountains. I didn't notice this um, previous year because I didn't make it past turnaround. And this year going out, you have this nice run downhill for four, four miles. It's a subtle downhill, but you don't think about it too much. And Steve told me, he goes, man, this electronic tower climb is something else. And it was, I climbed up that mountain. It was, uh, it seemed like, let's see, it's five. Yeah. Six miles, six miles uphill. Uh, to the, I mean, switchbacks here and there, climbing, climbing. It just seemed like it went on forever. I think it took me over an hour and a half. And uh, it was brutal because I'm talking running six miles up a mountain from mile 85 to mile 91. It was tough. But I knew that that was my last cutoff. So I was so inspired to keep pushing, pushing, pushing. So I finally made it to Electronic Tower. Um, the cutoff was 9.30. I think I was in there probably 8.45 or something like that. I was doing good, doing good. I blasted through there, filled up my hydration bladder. Steve stayed, changed his clothes, got some, I think changed his shirt and um, ate something. He ended up catching up to me when I started getting uh, coming around the bend, trying to get to, uh, it was only about two and a half, uh, a few miles to, uh, less than three miles to pumpkin patch. I remember earlier I was calling it the pumpkin patch highway. You know, it's fairly flat. I was so excited. I said, once I can get to pumpkin patch highway, I know it's flat for about five, uh, four miles and then downhill. Well, I got into pumpkin patch and you never know what can go wrong in an ultra, but something went wrong. That's never happened to me before. Um, these bite valves you can see here. Um, I've punctured them with my teeth before and they start leaking. 
One thing you can do with a bite valve is if it once starts dripping on you during a race, you can drink what you need and then you blow air back into the system so that it clears the tube and it'll stop leaking. I mean, it might drip a dropper here or there, but I had something that never happened to me before. <coughs> I filled up my bladder and the side of this uh, bite valve was spraying water out like a sprinkler. I mean, a lot of pressure pushing water out. It would have lasted like a 30 seconds and the bladder would be empty. And I was like, man, what do I do? I've got about five or six miles to end the race. And I got very lucky. Um, aid station captain said on the bottom of this valve in the black area here, there's another, there's another uh, valve that you can turn and it will turn off the bite valve. I never knew that. I've been using these for years. Um, so we did that and it stopped the, stop the leaking the problem is that 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 turn valve is so tight you would have to use your I had to use my teeth to open it and close it uh, every time so i think i only did it once the good news is it was only in the low 80s because it's close to 10 in the morning uh low 80s and that's very cool weather for me i could have ground it grind it out and not drink anything but i ended up drinking once but if this had happened to me earlier in the race I would have been doomed because I think I had one bottle in one of my drop bags just for emergencies. Um, what I'm going to do now is I, these, these bite valves are real small. I'm going to start carrying one. I usually carry this in my drop bag, but my drop bag was at mile 60. So what would I have done if that happened to me earlier, you know? So I'm going to carry this bite valve, uh, the bite valve. I'm going to carry an extra bite valve inside my battery bag. I've shown this before, but I wrap up, I wrap up. This is another uh, trick. These are four double A's. I wrap them up in uh, saran wrap. Two double A's, wrap them in saran wrap. I put them in this bag. I'm going to put my bite valve in here, and I also put my car key in here. I close it up, and then I put it in the back of my hydration pack in the pocket, the zip pocket. This protects the batteries from getting wet. It protects my car key from getting soaked with sweat the whole race, etc. But I'm going to start carrying a bite valve in there. Learned my lesson. I got very lucky. Um, anyways, uh, I got going and uh, ended up finishing the race. Uh, I think it was 29-25. So I had 35 minutes to spare. Um it you know, probably early morning, I thought maybe I can finish the race in 28 hours. I thought, you know, but that's what I'm saying. It, you always use more time than you think you're going to use. You want to use very little time in aid stations and keep pushing. Because <coughs> it turns out that I only had 35 minutes to spare and I didn't waste any time the whole race. So uh, that's my best advice to you is spend minimal time in aid stations. Pain's going to come, but you have to push through it. You can't quit a race every time you have pain. And um, that's why I mentioned before carrying the hiking poles. Those have become very helpful in races where the last 20 miles, I remember one rocky raccoon. I had a lot of lower back pain. Um, the hiking pole saved my race. I finished the race. Um, it can make a big difference. Um so I think that's about it. I just wanted to tell you what's in my mind going through an ultra ultra race. Basically, the highlight is thinking about aid station to aid station, 10K at a time. You're wearing gear. 
that's going to protect you. I went through many years of experience telling you what gear you should be using, like toe socks and how to protect against chafing. Um, you want to be cold during the night, but not too cold. I mean, I almost got hypothermia one year. I love it. And I learned my lesson. I'm running again the next year. But you want to be cold where it's a little bit uncomfortable. It'll keep your blood pressure way down, uh, which means you'll use less energy, run further, faster. But you don't want to be too hot because you're going to sweat too much. Use polyester, exoscan, other fabrics, not cotton. Some of the pros always say wear cotton in their podcast. Yeah, but they're finishing the race in 15 hours. If you're going to be out there all night, they don't run through the night. If you're going to be there out there all night, you need to be using polyester or something that doesn't hold too much water on your body because you're going to get cold. And you would want to avoid wearing a coat if you can because you'll start sweating in it. I carry the Solomon Windbreaker uh, just for emergencies. And I've had to use it before. I've had cold fronts come in. But very important. You want to wear shoes that fit right. Um, socks that they are going to do well for you. I think I've covered everything. Another thing I use a lot during the ultra is coffee. I drink a lot of coffee during my daily life, but also during ultras at night really makes a difference. Um, if you can try to go all day, I drink some in the morning, but if you can try to go all day, don't drink any coffee. Once you start drinking it at night, it's going to have more impact for you. Um, sometimes I, I well, like in this race, I alternated during the day. I had a little bit of caffeine through goo gels. But at night, it was mostly coffee. Uh, different caffeines work a little bit different. Maybe scientists will disagree with me, but they sure feel different. Um, for, for example, I can't use Red Bull or something like that. It just makes me feel down and feels weird. But if I'm drinking real coffee, um, also Goo Gels, also other brand of caffeinated gels work okay for me too. But I hope this was helpful. And if you have any questions, let me know in the comments below. Let me know about your future race plans. Um, at the end of this video, I'll put my latest race plans up. I'm pretty excited. I have um, this next month, I have Dinosaur Valley 100 miler, November 19th. I have a last man standing race in December on the Texas border. That's when you do loops every hour. And then in January, I have Bandera 100K. It'll be my sixth, sixth time running that race. I love that race. It's very close to my house. It's only like two and a half hours away. And then in February, I have uh, Rocky Raccoon, which I'm doing because I want to get the Western States qualifier. If I qualify for Western States, um, I'm qualified for next year, but these qualifiers are for 2024. If I run seven, sub 17 hours at Bandera 100K, my best is 1730. I'll qualify for Western States at Bandera. And if I do that, I might drop to the 100K at Rocky Raccoon. I'm not sure yet. But I've signed up for the 100K just in case. And then three weeks later, I have Love at 100. So that's going to be a tough two months. So basically, I've got like 10 marathons within nine weeks. I've got 100K and 200 milers within nine weeks. So that's going to be a tough turn. I'm planning on probably not racing in March and April because there's nothing that just is the interest of me interested me plus my kids have spring break and stuff like that so i may let my body rest and just do weightlifting and and maybe shorter distance stuff in march and april and then in may i've signed up for the toughest race i've ever done and i've been eyeing this race for 
couple years, I couldn't do it because my son's birthday, but the calendar is moving. So now I can celebrate my son's birthday the week before, but I'm going to Cruel Jewel in Georgia. Cruel Jewel, you can tell from the name, it's a tough, very tough uh, 100 miler. I think it's actually about 108 miles. It's through the mountains of North Georgia. It's also a hard rock qualifier, Western States qualifier and UTMB points qualifier. So it's a very tough race. I give you more time to finish it. But I'm excited to go out there and attempt this. I've been wanting to do races in Georgia and Alabama. Alabama, I want to do Penhody. And Tennessee, there's a couple of races like No Business 100 I want to do. But Cruel Jewel is the big one. And uh, I'm planning on finishing it next year. I'm sure excited about that. They have a really cool buckle. It's almost the size of a plate. <laughs> it's almost like a rodeo buckle. So I'm pretty excited going out there. But that's all. That's it for today. Um, let me know in the comments if you have any questions about running a hundred miler. I'd be happy to help you. What I've learned, what works, what doesn't work for me. But I wish everyone a, a great day of training. Take care.